playing New England's best variety here at 104.5 XLO with Jen and Frank. Good morning. So I cut down a few more trees yesterday. One of them was in a very precarious situation. Welcome to Occupations, the podcast, where we discuss what it's like to hold specific jobs. Occupations is brought to you by LotsOfMaps.com, where you fulfill your vintage map gifting needs. Visit LotsOfMaps.com. Hello, everybody. Andy Jagalins are here. Welcome to Occupations. Uh, today, we're here with Jen Carter. Uh, she is with the radio station WXLO in Worcester, Massachusetts, and it is a female-driven... We call it a hot AC. Hot AC, okay. Yes, adult contemporary. Yeah, for those of you not in the know. And uh, she has been a morning show drive uh, host uh, for 973 years, I <laughs> Actually, believe. this summer, in August, it will be 23 years. Oh I started Lord. in 2000. I wow. just can't believe it either. 23 years. And she's uh, she's part of the morning show host of... Jen and Frank. Or Frank and Jen. Or Frank and Jen. It used to be Frank yeah. and Jen. Oh, I didn't know that you switched it Yeah, back. and then it, it got switched to Jen and Frank because Frank actually left for a little time. And then when he came back, they said, well, we think because Jen's been consistent, Jen and Frank. It was a power grab, wasn't it? <laughs> you know me. I'm power hungry. Yeah, right. Um, and uh, and your partner is Frank Foley. And uh, you guys have been together for uh, almost the 23 years, right? Except for a, a short... A short stint, yep. yes. Um, so I was with Frank from 2000 when I started to 2003. And then the year that my son was born, um, we had Steve Donovan come into play. Frank ended up leaving. So Steve was there. I worked with Steve for, I believe, 10 years, uh, believe it or not. And then Frank came back in 2013. Wow. When, Unbelievable. When my daughter Leah was born. So that's kind of how I remember the whole Frank and I relationship. I don't, I, I got to be honest, I don't remember Steve and you together that long i was i was gonna say like maybe three or four years honestly that, that well that it was zito Amazing. was in there as well that's true so we had zito in there for five of the ten and then i steve and i worked together solo it was uh jen and steve uh, i know it's really hard to keep track nope, of trust it makes me sense. it makes sense so wxlo so you're not originally from worcester um, you are from Rochester, New York originally, or just outside of Rochester? I am. Fair, Fairport, New York okay. um, is where my family's from. But a lot of people don't know this. I actually grew up in Alexandria, Virginia. And my best friend in the world, Monica Boone, um, her dad me. was Herman Boone. If you ever saw the, uh, the movie Remember the Titans, her father was actually profiled in that movie. Huh. Um, so I grew up in Alexandria, and I had such a great childhood living there because when you are in the nation's capital, you have the best field trips in the world. So you'd go to the Smithsonian, you'd go to the Air and Space Museum, you'd go to the Washington Monument, any um, national monument you can imagine. So if you had grown up in Rochester, what kind of field trips would you have done? <laughs> And the elementary level, oh boy, that's a good question. Kodak, maybe, maybe if Kodak, they were still around. Yeah. Maybe the Eastman House, um, yes. Probably, I don't know if the Strong Museum of Play was in play at that time. 
But yeah, completely different. The field world's trips. biggest snowman. Uh, Maybe you know. I know. I'm trying to think like what that. else. Rochester. It's known as the Flower City because we have the Lilac Festival every spring. Mm. So maybe we'd go see the lilacs or something like okay. that. Well, all right. Enough with other places. Yes. Uh, you settled in New England. You came to school and uh, in Boston. I did. Correct? And I that's did. what brought you uh, to Massachusetts. Went to Emerson, and that's where I met my lovely husband. And um, after graduating from Emerson. We well, I first of all moved out to Las Vegas. I had been offered a job in Las Vegas, so I um, I moved out to Vegas and lived there for four years. And my husband Kevin, kind of, oh, there's the dryer. Did you hear that? I did. The laundry is done. <laughs> um, the laundry is done, and that means the end of the podcast. So uh, thank you for joining us, Jen. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um. No, it was a kind of an interesting story because I was working at Mix 98.5. Never heard of it. Boston. It's now 104.1. And I was doing promotions and I really wanted to get on the air um, and do my own promotion department. I was working under a promotions director at that time. And so I went to the big, big boss at American Radio Systems And I said, you know, I'd love to grow with the company. Where can you move me? And he said, Las Vegas or West Palm. And I said, Las Vegas it is. All right. So let's back it up a little bit. Okay. Um, Let's go back to uh, your first idea of becoming, uh, wanting to be in broadcasting. Now, you went to school. Did you go for broadcasting itself? I did. I originally wanted to go for children's television. And I really wanted to work for Sesame Street or PBS. Who didn't, by the way. Yeah. And I actually had an internship at WGBH in Cambridge, and I worked on this show. Do you remember Where is Carmen Sandiego? Sure. Where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? Sure. And so I really was TV, TV, TV. And then I graduated, and there were no TV jobs. And I remember thinking, oh boy, I really enjoyed radio when I worked at the station at Emerson. Maybe I'll start looking for radio. And that's kind of how I ended up getting my first job in radio. Even though it wasn't on air, it was in promotions. But if you talk to my grandmother, she said I was interviewing people when I was like 10 years old. I'd grab a wooden spoon and I'd go up. There's a picture of me with my wooden spoon going around and interviewing people and just having a blast. So that, <laughs> I think that's kind of where it all started. So you went, you are one of the few people in broadcasting who are actually good at broadcasting. Most other people were just really bad at other things and found themselves forced to well, the broadcasting nice. thing. Thank so you. That um, the rest of us, now I was in, in radio as well for a bunch of years, but um, only because I was terrible at everything else. So Stop uh, it. I That's decided. not true. That is not true. Do not believe him at all. We actually crossed paths several times or almost, almost. I can't, I can't almost. almost yes I worked figure. at Mix 95 myself for about two to three years and uh and we were both recruited to Worcester to WXLO by the same guy Pete Falcone that's right shout out to Pete and uh and that's where we became fast friends that's true so that's the uh the connection here um and I uh got thrown out of uh radio you know ceremoniously thrown out of radio and um, never looked back, Mm. whereas you somehow survived all the years and have made it uh, quite a career. It's amazing. It really is. Anyway, so, um, all right, so back to where, uh, to school. So you came out of school. Now, were you, at Emerson, you were doing 
radio broadcasting as well as some TV work as well. And so were there internships involved with Emerson? Well, where in the world is Carmen San Diego? I did that internship. Um, Before that, in the summer, I had done the Geraldo show. I don't know if you knew that or not. Um, In New York City. I moved to New York City and I lived in New York City for the summer. And I worked at the Geraldo show and my job there was... Geraldo, the TV program, when he had his talk show, used to have a comment line. And people would, at the bottom of the screen, it'd say, call this number if you want to comment on the show or if you have a show idea. And all the tapes would come in. I mean, these were like tapes that you would put in a cassette player. And my job was to put on a headset and listen and log everything that was on these tapes. And you can imagine what people were calling it in about what types of shows people wanted. Okay, so um, so you did not have to wax his mustache by any... No, I did no, not. that was not part of your job. No, it was I not. Assumed... But I remember seeing him. He was very, very friendly mm-hmm. and was in the office all the time, kind of going from office to office, checking in on people. Did he take his mustache off for non-broadcasting things, or was it... <laughs> it was I... always on. Uh, all right. Just, yeah. It was on, but I was there... For the episode, they t- so the offices are were on one side of, I believe it was 57th Street. And then where they shot the production was close by. So I never would actually go and see the tape being, the show being taped. I was back at the office doing that type of stuff, working with the producers. But I guess I was interning for the show when that famous fight happened where he got his nose broken, if you recall that. I, I I briefly remember his nose being broken. Someone threw a and chair I, at him, I, I think believe. I cheered for a little bit. Um, but uh, <laughs> I'm sure he was nice, but not one of my favorites. Anyway, I digress. Yeah. Um, so, all right. So, so you went and did that. Um, how did you get hooked up with Mix 98.5? Um, just pure luck. I went to the Emerson job office and there was a book with all sorts of um, job listings and there was a promotions assistant and I applied. And um, I remember the first day after I had gotten the job sitting in my cubicle and not knowing what to do. Here I'm at this huge radio station, all these people are doing their jobs and no one had really told me what I was supposed to be doing until Pete Falcone came by. Once again, that name comes up and said, let me show you the ropes. So that's exactly what happened. And then I fit right in. So you did that for a little while. And then you said you upward and onward. I want to go grow. And off to Las Vegas, you went. And what did you do in Vegas when you were there? I was essentially running the promotion department and marketing department in Las Vegas. So all of the remotes that they did, all of the promotions that they did on air and off air. And we did some great ones. We did um, live events. We did something called MixFest where we brought out artists. We did a Bite of Las Vegas, which was a big food festival that I was instrumental in getting started that I believe they're still doing at the radio station. Um, any sort of on-air promotion, like I said, so we gave away a golden check, you know, to a listener worth, I don't know, $10,000 and, you know, the drill, putting together the promotions. We did something called Mix and Match, which was kind of cool, where we made up a game board and people had to play along on the radio. So it was really a fun job because you could be 
as creative as you could be. What made you make the jump to on air? Or were you getting to the point where you kind of needed some new avenue to go well, on? Well, I and... love the creativity of the promotions department and the marketing department, but it was just honestly the hours and working every weekend. Anybody that's done promotions or events knows that that's kind of your busy time. So I remember one time my mom coming to visit me in Las Vegas and we were walking on the strip on a Saturday trying to like enjoy the scenery and my phone kept ringing and ringing. And my mom's like, can you not answer that? And I'm like, I can't because I have a staff of people that are out doing these promotions. So I think, and I, I think I always knew I wanted to be on the air. Like I said, I had done some at Emerson. So basically what happened is I say I nagged the right people for a long time. I started off I, uh, I went to my promotion or my program director at the time, his name was Duncan. And I said, I really want to be on the air. And he said, well, I'm not going to give you any leg up, submit a tape like anybody would do. And let me see what you can do. And so I did that. He liked what he heard. He put me on actually from midnight to six in the morning on Friday into Saturday and Saturday into Sunday. That's probably Las Vegas's big busy hours. But probably. Yeah. <laughs> so I did those, but this is remember coming off working, um, doing promotions all day. Oh boy. So yeah. that lasted about six months because as you can imagine, you just completely burn out. Right. You were I was just so exa- exhausted. But it gave me the experience to put enough material together to then start sending that out. So then I sent it out. That was just a very small stint um, doing, like I said, overnights. I sent that to Pete Falcone, and he said, would you want to come out and interview at WXLO? We actually have an opening, and that's what I did. And did you know it was the morning show? I did. Okay. I did. That's a big jump, obviously, from midnight to 6 in the morning to uh, morning show is is the premier slot in, in radio, uh, along with afternoon drive, but... Um, it's, it's certainly the most, uh, creative of the slots and you can do a a heck of a lot with it. And I know your promotions background certainly gave you a leg up on how to do it and do it right. I think so. And I think at the time I didn't realize what a big jump it was. I don't think until looking back years later that I realized, Hey, this is like, I got incredibly lucky with this. Someone gave me a chance. And that chance led me to be able to, what I've been doing for 23 years, which is pretty amazing. It certainly is. Um, you know, and if you talk to people in radio on a normal basis, um, this story is not an unusual one um, where you just get a break. Um, this is not a type of job, and you tell me, but this is not the type of job where you you get promoted up to a certain level. It's usually just a break that happens, right? I think so. And I think I always tell people that are looking to get into radio, I like to say it's just attrition. It's like if you get your foot in the door at some position, whether it's a promotions assistant, whether it's an intern, whether it's a production person, and you really want to do it, there's a time when someone will leave and there needs to be that hole that's filled. And if you're there, you fill it. And I think that's how a lot of these jobs come about. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, uh, let's talk about your day-to-day routine. Uh, so you're you're on the air pretty early in the morning. Um, and you also have children and a husband at home. And uh, uh, although your children are getting older and older now, but um, uh, running a family while doing on air must not have been an easy thing to do, especially when they were younger. It wasn't when they were younger. You're absolutely right. It's gotten a lot easier. And I think I 
over the years, I've just gotten so much more disciplined about my sleep schedule. I used to try to stay up till 9 30, 10 o'clock, and then be up at four o'clock in the morning. And you just, you just, I physically couldn't do it. So now I'm so regimented about my schedule, and I'm in bed by eight or 8 30 to be up by four o'clock just so I get enough sleep because. I would find that I'd be in the middle of the afternoon at like three o'clock, just exhausted. Or a friend would say, hey, let's go out to lunch. And it would be 1230. And I couldn't even keep focused on what my friend was saying. And I'm like, this doesn't seem right. This isn't a good way to live. So That, that friend was me, I assume, because we've done a lot of lunches together. <laughs> we I know have. But I mean, it, it really was like sometimes hard to focus on you know, certain things that you have a conversation because you're exhausted. But I've remedied, remedied that. And uh, now, like I said, I get to bed at a reasonable hour. Yeah, but our show starts at 530. And um, I'm done at 10. But I usually get home at about noon or so, do some prep for the next morning show. Um, and it's just it's a job I love it. You know, like we've talked about when you find something that isn't a like work to you, it it's fun. It flies by. And it, I'm working with Frank. I mean, come on. You know Frank. How much more fun can that be? Yeah, he's, he's one of a kind for he sure. He really is. Yeah. He really is. Um, so as far as uh, what you do in your job. Now, it's obvious we, we hear on the radio. We, well, you, you know, don't. Well, okay. I don't, people that actually listen. Uh, Thanks, Jack. <laughs> Jag admitted to me, yeah, I don't really listen to your show. I'm not a P1. I guess I, oh, I'm really okay. not. Uh, no offense, but... Uh, I still love it, you. You're also not... Uh, I'm not your demographic, so you're not really... Probably not. Anyway. Um, anyway, so you... Uh, you know, we hear one side of, of what happens there. Uh, and it's probably only one-tenth of what actually goes on in a radio station. I know in some cases it's sh- it's sheer... Uh, madness. You know, madness <laughs> that happens behind the scenes. But in other cases, it's kind of what you sort of expect when you're just listening to the music uh, between between uh, segments and and uh, and and know exactly what you're going to talk about yeah I think so, some of our best ideas come up you know in between the songs like you said when people aren't uh, are listening when you guys are enjoying you know Taylor Swift or Doja Cat that's when we're kind of having a lot of fun and figuring out what we're going to be talking about next. And I think Frank and I take a lot of stuff from our personal lives. So um, we try to be relatable in that sense, things that everybody is going through at some time or people that people can relate. But then we also talk a lot of topical topics as well, you know, um, whether it's Whatever it is, you know, travel over the holidays, something everybody's relating to. Yep, that makes a lot of sense. So uh, you've you've obviously, and I, you know, working with you over the years, you guys like to have a lot of fun, and and um, I've done some incredibly goofy, ridiculous things for you over the years, uh, which I'm proud, proud, <laughs> proud to have done. Yes. Um, but uh, I mean, obviously, there's a million ways you could go with the show. Um, you could be controversial. Um, you're not. That's not our show. So tell me why not? Why? Well, why? Because... I mean, because obviously, well, let's let's talk about before we even get into that. Let's talk about what you're after as a as a morning show host. It all comes down to ratings, right? Uh, ratings are very important because they set. Well, why don't you tell me what they set the price of commercials and and everything else. So why don't you tell me exactly what ratings are and why they're so important? I just know that they want good ratings. <laughs> Like, honestly, I don't know much past that. Okay. No, that's fair enough. And uh, okay. So uh, we'll have to get a salesperson in here. 
And this is this is funny because um, I, I don't want this to be about me, but I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you my yeah. my take on things because when I was in the radio business, I was a production director, and I was kind of the liaison between the on air and the sales staff. So I sort of saw the struggle that was there between the two powerhouses and and the tug of war that was always there, and uh, and certainly the ratings part of it is what drives the prices of. Uh, commercials and whether or not you've got enough listeners that a a client would be wanting to advertise on the radio. After all, radio is all about advertising and, uh, and, and, you know, that's what draws the, uh, the revenue. So, um, in order to drive those ratings higher, certain radio stations will go to any lengths to do that. Um, and some of them will go blue or not blue, maybe not blue, but they will go very controversial. They will, um, talk about misinformation. They may bring up, uh, there might be someone on the, sh- on the air that is incredibly, uh, you know, someone that that's going to draw a lot of, uh, a lot of ire from folks, um, uh, purposely to, to drive people crazy. So they, they have no choice but to turn on the radio. That's yeah, that's not, not our show, no. So obviously, right from the get-go, that wasn't who you were. No. Um, but have you ever been asked to maybe change up the way you do a show in order to drive ratings higher? No, no. It's always just been be who you are, which I think I like and I appreciate. I couldn't be somebody. I couldn't try to be controversial just to be controversial. I think Frank and I go in there every day feeling like radio is such a personal medium. You're in your car. You're generally speaking alone. Um, It's a one-to-one medium. We're talking to you. And I think we just want to be, look at, you can turn on the news and have so much depressing news and people get bummed out. We want to be that source of when you tune into us, we're uplifting. We're giving you things to feel good about. It's not all, it's not every break that's the case. If something comes along that we talk about that is topical, we'll talk about that. But for the most part, our goal is to entertain and to be relatable and to be um, uplifting, I think. What about engaging to your audience? Now, you you do a lot of uh, call-in stuff. Very much so. uh, Participate in our conversation kind of things. Yeah, absolutely. But it's goofy stuff. You know, it's silly stuff. It's not stuff that, you know, you'd hear on a talk radio station where people are trying to pit two sides against each other. Our stuff is, you know, I don't know. Do you like brown bread? I don't know. (laughs) You know, <laughs> wow, that is controversial. No, we actually I did. A, we did a whole topic on a whole hour on hot dog buns in New England and how they are squared off in New England, so you can grill them. Because where I grew up in New York, they were a rounder mm. bun. And so, are you saying that New Englanders are more evolved or less evolved? I would say more evolved because they are mm. grilling a lot of the hot dogs, and you need that flat side to grill. We never grilled a bun in New York. I don't know. What do you think? I think you just insulted New Yorkers tremendously, <laughs> um, is what I think. Grill your buns. Um, do you think they will ever come around? I think they might, yeah. after they hear this podcast. Yeah, they're embarrassed at this <laughs> they're point, They're very I'm embarrassed. Sure, yeah. No, but I mean, that's the silly stuff. We yeah. did another topic, Every Day You See a Cow, where we said every day you see some sort of a cow, whether it's in advertising or driving into work on the side of the road. And 
people were calling all morning going, I just saw a cow. I just saw a cow. It's pretty funny. It's be, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. <laughs> you um, should listen. Yeah. You know, I might do that one of these days. That's excellent. We do interviews, yeah. so we'll have celebs call in and, um, you know, do interviews. And so that's a big part of the show as well. So... Knowing you the way I know you, your idea of a celebrity is very different sometimes of <laughs> Wink others. Wink Martindale. Wink Martindale is the one that I think of the most. Um, those of you who are too young to know who Wink Martindale was. Um, he had a skinny microphone. <laughs> and that's not code. <laughs> you sure now? Okay. Uh, yeah, game show host. Uh, was he a talk show host as well at some point? I'm not sure. I just yeah. know him from the game shows. Yeah. We had, yeah. at some point, I don't know how this came about. Our former producer, Emily, got his phone number to his house for an interview. And I just remember thinking, we're calling Wink Martindale's estate. Because you have to imagine Wink would live on an estate somewhere in Hollywood. I'm sure with the big, you know, walls and fortresses and armed guards. Yes. That's what I was thinking. So the phone rang and Wink picked up and he was like, this is Wink. I'm like, oh my God, this is Wink Martindale. So another funny story about an interview, we were interviewing Duran Duran and they were late for the interview. And so I ended up leaving the station because I had to go pick up one of my kids. So I, I said to, as I left the studio, I said, if they call in, I will turn around and I will come back to the studio and I will interview them. It's Duran Duran. I mean, you have to be there. So I remember I was on 290. My cell phone rang. I pick up the phone and I hear, hello. And I'm like, hi, this is Jen. He's like, this is John Taylor. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, John Taylor is calling my cell phone. So He's I, like, can you still do the interview? I'm like, I'm turning around right now. So I, it, it's delightful to see that you get giddy over, over celebrities because you've certainly met um, your fair share over the A years. A lot of them. And, uh, it's nice to see that you're... You still I am, get you excited. I'm still very That's giddy. Awesome. Yes. I have a Simon Le Bon story. Um, he spit at me. He spit at uh, you? on me. I guess would probably Why? be a way. Um, uh, this was, was it. Just this spittle? goes back. Is this spittle? This is water. Um, mix ninety five. Yeah. Uh, mix fest. We had Duran Duran. We interviewed them in their trailer, and Simon Le Bon was, let us say, not such a nice guy. Okay. Uh, did not want to participate. Um, did not want to be there, but was being forced by somebody to be there and decided he wanted to take it out on me. Um, so he was pretty rude to me several times. So anyway, fast forward to them on stage, um, me in the VIP area, right up in the front and right next to the stage. And he took a big swig of water and spit it right at me. Gosh, You know, some women would really appreciate that. I still (laughs) think Did you never wash the shirt? It's it's still a claim to fame of mine that I'm very proud of. Um, I guess uh, when you can provoke somebody to that level of uh, of whatever anger, that's, that's, I feel like it's a victory. Wow, yeah. that is a kind of a special yeah. story. But I digress again. Mm. Um, so anyway, so ratings uh, ratings need to be driven up higher, and when you get good ratings, you're celebrated by uh, the radio station itself Woo-hoo. and. Uh, and people around the industry and others get fired because of it, which is, uh, you know, do you feel We've bad or stories. you don't care? You don't care that they got do fired. Do I care about ratings? No, that other people got fired because you beat them tremendously oh, in the Oh, gosh, ratings. I don't think that's happened. Yeah. <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> All right, we'll edit that out. 
Um, <laughs> Lotsofmaps.com. Vintage, local, national, and world maps for an affordable price. 99% of our maps are $25 or less. Great as gifts. Frame them or put them under glass for your home, vacation home, or as a memory of a special place. Lotsofmaps.com. Prep work. Let's talk about prep work. So when you prep a, a show... Um, like you said, a lot of your good ideas come between the music, so you're kind of on the fly as you go. Uh, so what do you come to work with uh, in a prep way? What, what are you prepping uh, to bring to work that, uh, that might start your program off in the right direction? Well, I think you're just reading a lot of different um, sources of news. Um, so you're just always constantly looking, you know, for what is the big story if you do want to be topical like that. But I think then Frank and I try to keep, like we said, our personal lives at the front of the show. So constantly always just, I mean, like last night, something happened. My son needed a school book. And of course he waits till the like last hour before he's going back to school to tell my husband and I that he needs the book. So Kevin drove all the way up to Lemonster to Barnes and Noble. And guess what? They were out. Um, so, I mean, we, I told that story on the air, you know, Frank told a story about his grandkids coming over and he was exhausted after they left because he was just, you know, he's not used to that. So, I mean, I think it's just living life as I like to say it, you know, I'll talk about this tomorrow that Jag came over and, and interviewed me for a podcast and, you know, all different sorts of things. Um, uh, you've also done. Uh, been through on the air through some tremendously horrible situations. I shared one of those with you myself, uh, 9-11, and uh, I know you've been on the air during other other pretty incredible things. Um, obviously, you have to go on remote control, uh, sort of make it up as you go in those situations. You're, there's nothing to prep for, but how do you know how to steer the program when something something tragic. heavy or tragic has happened. And uh, I mean, obviously you need to make a decision of, are we even going to comment on this in the first place? But uh, you I mean, have to, you have yeah. to comment on it, especially something like nine 11 being as huge. It was as it was to the entire country. I think that day, everybody was in shock. We were in shock. You were in shock and you were really an integral part of feeding us any information that we had and i think at that day on that day our mindset was strictly to deliver the most up-to-date information that we could and i think you know there's still people that remember listening to us and that broadcast and we lived through that with our listeners and the shock of it the horror of it and i think that we showed our emotion you have to this is a, in real time, we're real people and we were feeling it just like people listening to the radio. So I think that day in particular, just trying to piece everything together about what was happening. I mean, when we first all heard that, I think you included, we thought a small little prop propeller plane went into the trade center in Boston. We didn't really know what the information was. And I remember the internet was in its infancy, if you recall. Yeah. So we didn't have a fast internet to be checking millions of different sources. Right. And I do remember that um, XLO did not have a television. 
Um, and so yeah, <laughs> we didn't have a television back so then. I was your television. You at were the time, our which television. Was funny. That being said, um, I, I, I'm thinking along the lines of how do you how do you continue your work knowing that this has happened? Now, obviously, you know, at the time you you, you like you said, you weren't sure what was happening. You obviously didn't want to give wrong information and panic people even further than than they were probably already panicked. How do you continue to do what you do in a situation where other people might have just stopped what they do in their life? You're live on the air. You can't do that. You can't. So how do you how do you keep going in a time like that? I don't know. I think it was nice to have you know a good support system around us. I think I had you know Frank there. I think I had you there and we were kind of all going through this together. And you know Frank and I have had these conversations before when after something like that happens whether it's 9/11 or it's some sort of natural disaster when do you go back to I mean we're the jokey fun um uplifting show. So when do you change that? And is when is it too soon? We kind of let people dictate our direction. If people want to talk about that, if they're calling about that, and they still have to process it, that's the direction we want to go. Yeah, there's no question that uh, it was on people's minds for months and months and months, um, for sure. But you're right. How do you how do you go back to joking? I remember Saturday Night Live at that time was also going through that same thing. How do we put on a show? Yeah. That's supposed to be funny in a time when we shouldn't be funny right now. And I remember feeling that too with COVID at the very beginning of COVID thinking, you know, here people are really worried. People are scared. We didn't quite know what it was when it was first all happening. And should we be joking around? Like what direction do we take? Because we're not medical experts, you know, so just passing along the most accurate information that we have. I think was important. And then, you know, again, when do you go back to what you normally do? Uh, Do you have resources to reach out to in those kind of instances of people that you lean on? Like, for example, someone in the medical uh, uh, industry. We do. Um, Yeah. Are are there people uh, outside of radio that you you sort of lean on to try to get some expertise on how to to move the the needle on the radio station as well as keeping it topical and, and all of that. Yeah, I, I think for a 9-11, we had, I'm not sure who we reached out to, but we had boots on the ground there. I believe Frank's brother actually went to help with the search and rescue effort. So we were communicating with him at that time. But with COVID, yeah, we've, de- we've definitely had people on talking about, we've had doctors on before just talking, trying to give the, the medical expertise. Um, we do have those resources available to us. All right. So another part of your job would be um, certainly on the air, but sometimes off the air after your shift, um, some remotes. Very some, much so. Some things, uh, for those of you who don't know what a remote is, it's, it's something on site uh, at maybe a client's uh, a facility or some sort of a party or something along the lines of that where you go you represent the station you sometimes play MC um, sometimes you're live on the air in the mornings uh, from that location that's a lot of work uh, for sure um, tell me a little bit about that that kind of work okay so there's a couple different avenues I mean there could be when we're broadcasting live with our morning show which we did this summer we went to the Cape and we were live from Red Jacket Resorts. So 
it was really cool because they set up an area for us and Frank and I got up, we stayed at the hotel and then got up in the morning and we're right on the water. And it's so peaceful, as you can imagine, and did our broadcast telling people about the resort. And, you know, so that was a fun remote. We uh, we got back from Turks and Caicos. We were there during a hurricane. <laughs> um, so that was interesting. We went down to Sandals, uh, to beaches, and um, we did a remote from there for two days. So that was exciting. So there's like a lot of opportunities to do your show from somewhere kind of exotic and different. We were in Jamaica four years ago doing a big promotion. But then there's just going out and the sales department will sell an appearance at a car dealership or at a McDonald's, a grand opening. So you'll go out and like you said, you'll play music, you'll hand out prizes. We have a prize wheel, you'll come out and spin. We talk to listeners and it's just a good opportunity to go out and meet with the people that listen to the show. And then there's a third avenue which I do a lot of, which is charity work, um, going out and emceeing for whether it's, uh, you know, the Humane Society or it's the Shine Initiative or whatever charity, um, the American Heart Association I've worked with and, and doing those remotes where you're doing more charity work and donating your time. So uh, walks and, you know, uh, runs and anything you can imagine. So radio has changed. A tremendous amount since you first uh, got involved with it. Uh, we know the internet has gone from almost non-existence when you started, maybe even not even existing. At we that were point. reading newspapers to mm. get information. So, uh, not to date you, but uh, date me. I've but, been. People uh, know, you know I've been there twenty-three years. <laughs> um, you started at a time, and I was in the in the business as well when radio was probably starting a little bit of a decline but um but it was it was high on the mountain when when I got into it and it was I think the second I joined is when things started going south and that's probably my fault but um it it's changed tremendously in the sense that it's not the only thing to do anymore correct um, you certainly have We've gone through the MP3 players in the cars and CD players in the cars and uh, and then the advent of satellite radio and all the other things that you can do uh, when you're commuting or when you're working out or when you're just sitting around. There's obviously television and all the things that you always had, but uh, there's so many other avenues of entertainment and advertising as well. How How do you... First of all, how have you found it to change? What are there any good sides to to um, to the changes that have happened? Well, as far as the internet, just a plethora of information that we didn't have before. So there's so much information. So it's culling all that down. I mean, before when newspapers were delivered, you had one or two newspapers. So I I think and a timeliness to it with the internet. You know, before just thinking of we were relying on newspapers to get news and thinking, you know, maybe that news came out yesterday. People want are so up to date now and want to know immediately what is going on. And I just think, like you talked about, there's so many more TV channels, there's so many podcasts, there's so many different things to do that audiences have become fragmented. So I think when you do have them, if you if I'm lucky enough that you give us your time to listen, we want to grab you. We want to entice you. We want to entertain you and keep you. And um, 
it is a challenge. It's a challenge, but I think it's something that, you know, you still can do. And that's what makes it a challenge every day, finding a way, you know, to engage people and make it interesting. So, so have you felt like you've needed to change what you do on the air because maybe your audiences are slightly smaller because of the fact that there are so many other alternatives in entertaining yourself? Have I you don't think like you I've need needed to change, but I think we approach it now in, you know, really hooking into the meat of a story and not spending as much time, knowing that people's audience attention span is a, is a little shorter. Sure. So really grabbing them and with what we're talking about and, you know, before it was maybe longer was better. Maybe the more you could talk about something. Now I think it's like get to the meat of it and then wrap it up, you know, so, but it, it, it gives you more bang for your buck. I think if that makes any sense. Sure. Absolutely. Um, and, and you talked about having the internet at your disposal as far as finding information and prep work and stuff. How do you know what to believe and what not to believe? I, I don't tough. know if you know this, but not everything on the internet is true. <laughs> I do know that. Yes. I mean, I think we just try to. I think being in this business for as long as we've been in, I think we, I like to look at multiple sources on a story. Definitely, I'm not going with the first thing I read. Um, I go to reliable, what I consider to be reliable sources. Um, and I mean, I think you get a sense after doing this for a while, what's the phony baloney stuff and, and what's the stuff that, and, and you know what, you know, we never rush into something without, you know, on the air without really being pretty sure of course, there's been times, you know, you hear these stories where some station reported that some celebrity passed away and then it was a hoax. And <laughs> I would say get get more than one source on something if you're going to report something like that. So are you pretty sure that Wink Martindale is still alive? I think he is. Yeah, he, I think he is. He's I think hiding he's out in his with 90s. Like Elvis and Jim Morrison. I th- and... No, he's alive and well and yeah. living in California is somewhere. He really? I think he is. Look at I can get my phone. Yeah, I think you're gonna have to get your phone. And on I can one. look I, it up. I think I'll be shocked if that's the case. But you, you what? You don't think he's around? I don't know. We may, we may see tragedy. We may Listen, hear tragedy right on this podcast as Jen realizes her hero might not be alive on, let's anymore. See, he was on the radio, by the way. Yeah, he's still alive. Oh. He's 88 years old. Wow. Time yeah, to. Yeah, he did Tic Tac Doe, if you recall. I need to get him on the show again. Now you've I given was me. Say, it's you've time. given me a goal. His real name is Winston Conrad Martindale, otherwise known as Wink. And he was on the radio for a long time. TV producer, disc jockey, and game show host, my friend. Wow. 88. It's time. I think, uh, how long has it been? <laughs> it's time to have him on the show. It's been a while. Yeah, no, it's not time for him to die. I was going to gonna say, no, what are you talking? Was... Oh, geez. I love Wink. Um, is that your password on to all your computers, by the way? <laughs> You'll never know. <laughs> <laughs> you wink. wish you knew. I love lamp. I love um, tic tac toe. Tic tac toe. Yeah, now you got me thinking of that. Do you remember we'd have dance parties in your studio? Oh, do I? Yes. Yes. Jag I do. had yeah. a disco ball that he hung in the production studio, among other fun things. You did have a lot of fun stuff. Do you still have a Mr. Potato Head riding around in the car with I you? Do not. I Ugh, do not. It's very terrible. sad. I know. I have a child instead, but. <laughs> So the internet is obviously not only 
taken a little bit of your business away potentially. Um, it's also helped you to prepare and get information for your show, but you're also using it as well to make non-traditional revenue for the radio station as well as grabbing people's attention. Tell me a little bit about how you guys as a radio station, how you personally are using the internet to your advantage. Well, we have um, a station website and a station Instagram. We're also on uh, TikTok as well. So just constantly, you know, coming up with content to um, to make little videos or vignettes um, to post on social media to kind of give people a behind the scenes of, you know, you hear us on the radio, but what is it like after the show? You know, what types of stuff do we do? So we'll go to the refrigerator and maybe open up the refrigerator and see, you know, how old the food is. And um, no, but you know what I mean? Like little silly office things. Um, The other day when Frank and I were walking in and it started to snow, we took a little video of us walking in, in the middle of the snowstorm. Um, So just kind of, I think our relationship, I think the reason that Frank and I have been successful is because I think people get our chemistry. I think that comes through. I think that they really understand that we are good friends. Like we would hang out together if we weren't working a job together. We enjoy each other's company. And I think that comes across. So I think through the social media, like I just did a video the other day of my grandmother and my daughter and my daughter asking her about how it was to you know be 95. And my daughter said, that's impressive. <laughs> which it is, by the way. Um, So I think coming up with those little creative, it's another avenue of creativity that we can take the brand of the show in. You know, what do Jen and Frank do behind the scenes? And, um, you know, we've done all sorts of little stunts. I've put on a blue man mask and jumped out (laughs) in front of Adam Webster, our news director, and scared the pants off of him. Or So um, all those little stunty things that make good videos. Uh, obviously within the medium that you work in where it's strictly audio it's not visual uh, you've got a chance to have some sort of theater of the mind that the the visual world doesn't have have you taken advantage of that and done some things on the air that um you've had to sort of describe to the audience in a way that would make it entertaining yes and I think one of them is something that you did where we had Jag up in the helicopter and we pretended like you were in a helicopter. Pretended? Reporting on traffic at midnight, which, as you can imagine, not much going on. More than you think. More than you think. <laughs> 104.5 XLO. It's Frank and Jen, the XLO Morning Show. Now, you know Eric Keenan, our traffic guy. Yes. He's sick. He's going to be out for a couple of weeks. Jag has graciously offered to come in and do the traffic, but of course they're concerned because they haven't heard Jag do the traffic. So they're having Jag do the traffic at 3 in the morning. Yeah, he had to do a practice run, I guess, last night. Well, that makes sense. So they woke him up and uh, told him to go up in the copter to do a traffic report. This is unbelievable. So I didn't hear it, but somebody taped it and said, this is something we have to listen (laughs) to. no. So this is Jag. Mind you, this is a serious deal. He's literally going to come on and do traffic rest of the morning. Thanks, Jag. I'm in the no-dose copter. It's 3.14 in the morning, and this traffic report is brought to you by Trojan Car. 
condoms. Well, I-290 is wide open, and uh, I-190, I see a car. There's a car on I-190, so uh, I'd avoid that if I were you. There's a bag blowing across Main Street, so keep a lookout for that, and I see a dog on Chestnut Street. There's some police activity going on around the Dunkin' Donuts. I would avoid that at all costs. From the No-Dose Copter, this is Jag for WXLO. Now, I've left a voicemail for Jag, because that's nuts. <laughs> yes, um... Remember Wheel of Grossness? I do. We spun the wheel. It was at the the mall down the street there. Oh, that's right. On, that? on Temptation the, Island? Temptation Island. We had Wheel of Grossness and you had to spin and you had to eat worms or something. <laughs> I do remember 4.5 XLO's Island, Island of, of Desire. Five contestants. My name's Ron. I'm Joyce. I'm Jeff. This is Jackie. I'm Mary Jane. One trip to Hawaii. It's a trip to Hawaii to Maui. A tropical island was built in the Greendale Mall. Now this place looks great. Cool. Supreme. Jeff, I hope his wife goes into labor. And, uh... You want this trip, right? Absolutely. Could they last 48 hours? If I had a pillow, I'd be all set. Who put the baby Ruth in the pool? <laughs> Could they accept the challenges? Pebbles, are you scared about what might be coming? No, not at all. Train of grossness. We're going to blindfold you all so you can't really see what you're going to be swallowing. A cup full of grubs, a tasty milk bone, a nice meaty pig hoof. <laughs> Some nice night crawlers. You have to keep it in your mouth for three seconds. Just put it right in there. Oh, my oh God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. All right, spit it out. Spit it out. You're yeah. like, oh, man. Look yeah. at the look on her face. Could they be tempted off with prizes? Do we have any takers? I'm definitely adding. No takers. We had no takers. You guys are not humans. You could walk away with nothing. In the end, only one survived. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Mom, we're going to Hawaii. And Bruce, congratulations. The Island, Island of, of Desire. Desire. Brought to you by we also Dunkin'. did one year where we did the musical where we tried to make it like an old-timey radio program with the sound effects of the horses, you know, clicking their heels and and singing some of the breaks. I don't. Our boss hated it. It was awful. But I guess we gave it a try. That's, That's all you can ask for, right? I think of another one. I think of the um, Iron Chef. You remember that? We, oh, was yeah. Like we, the competition. You made it seem like you were in a kitchen stadium we talked about. We were at a gas station. We were at a gas station under a tent. XLO did it again. Brilliant. The XLO Iron, Iron Chef, Chef Challenge. <laughs> Friday, Frank and Jen brought Tony Cepeda and Anita Buss to Kitchen, kitchen stadium. stadium. I'm so excited. They had one hour and four minutes to whip up two dishes that contained the secret ingredient. Slim Jim. Yes. First day shop. He's on? Yes, Odo. Tony is back and uh, he has gotten spray on cheese. The plastic cheese is a key move right there. Really then they cooked. He's working on the second dish already. I see cookies and whipped cream and little sprinkle things. The battle was fierce. So far, there's no use of the George Foreman grill. And the judging was harsh. Oh, no, I did notice, though, that he did select an ice cream dish. And do you think that's going to affect the judge's decision? There's definitely melting problems going on here. And when the dust settled, it was too close to call. Boy, you can cut the tension with a knife here in Kitchen Stadium. Whose cuisine reigns supreme? 12 votes to 11. Anita! Anita! Ah! My word. Yeah, but it's theater of the mind. You can paint any picture. I mean, we've done that a million times. We put at one point Steve up in a crane in an apple picker and um, for raise for a cure, which is a promotion that we did where we weren't going to let him down until we raised so much money and had to describe that to people. I mean, all sorts of things. It's a cool medium. I, I got to say, I miss it at times. There's mm. a there's a 
definitely something that you can be very creative and use that lack of visual to your advantage. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, overall, you love your job. I do. Um, so much fun. I wish it was a little bit later of a start time, but I'm okay. Any advice to someone who wants to get involved? And, and you mentioned it early on that you you kind of said get involved in any way possible. Would that be good advice? I would say so. Um, I mean, it is still, I mean, there are still jobs. And again, you're not going to probably start at the top. But if it's something that interests you and you have a passion for it and you don't mind starting at the bottom, it's a fun place to work. It's a great team. I think you know that radio people are kind of crazy. And unlike any other job I've ever worked in, there's a bond that forms. I mean, look at we're still friends after all these years. We're still friends with our former producer, Emily. There's something that's a connection that when you're working together, I don't know what it is, but you're in it together and it's definitely camaraderie, that feeling. Yep. Yeah, that's for sure. Let me ask you one more thing. Yeah. Um, if you weren't in radio, what would you be doing with your life? Oh, boy. Bag lady? <laughs> I'm not a bag lady, no. Professional <laughs> a, bag lady? That's a very old-timesy yeah, saying, bag myself. lady. Um, I think I'd do something with mental health and maybe being some sort of a counselor trying to help people you know, work through, I've, I've talked on the air about my anxiety that I've suffered with and how debilitating it was. And I think knowing that there's someone there to listen, that's been through something like that, um, put you at an advantage. And I think that probably would be something that I would get into to let people know that you can push through and you, there is light on the other side. You don't have to live like that, I guess, with anxiety. Yeah. Well, uh, let me just, uh, this sort of brings up another point. Um, living with anxiety, um, do you ever feel the pressure of needing to perform? No, I don't think so. I think I'm, one of the things about this job is I think I just am me. And I think, again, I've talked about my struggles with anxiety on the show. I've talked about things that I've been through personally. And I think that revealing those moments with your audience brings them closer. I think there's a vulnerability. A lot of people don't want to let that wall down. And I think personally for me, I can help a lot of people to let people know that I went through this and I struggled with it. I mean, during COVID, I was having a horrible time as were a lot of people. And how do you get through that? And you can get through it and give people that hope. So you know, I think a lot of, I think that's a big deal. I think a lot of celebs are starting to open up and, and it makes you, takes away the stigma of it. And I think it really makes that connection. And that's all we're, all of us as humans are looking for. So would you consider yourself an entertainer? What category would you put yourself in? I think an entertainer on my taxes. I'm an entertainer. Which I always thought was strange to me because are you an entertainer if you're being yourself? That's something to think about. Can you juggle? 
I can juggle. <laughs> I can't juggle. You know that. I know you can juggle. Theater of the mind. Oh, she's juggling right now. <laughs> Look at her go. I know you can juggle, though. I can't juggle, yes. Not well, but I can juggle. Jen Carter, uh, thank you so much for being uh, part of uh, Occupations Broadcast. And uh, thanks for giving us a perspective that others don't have. And hopefully somebody found this useful. I know I did. You're welcome. And thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Join us again next time for another uh, edition of Occupations. Occupations has been brought to you by LotsOfMaps.com. Please follow Occupations the Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to find information about our next episode or to see what past episodes are available.